0: It's 2017. We made it. Right? Best $1.99 I ever spent right there. Just for that. Just for you. So good to be back. I've missed you guys. Um, Hope you had a wonderful break. (laughs) I was not ready for that one. Well done. Hope Brooklyn. We always go the extra mile. All right. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Russ. I'm one of the pastors here. Also, we're very corny. I don't know if you got that yet. Our jokes are nice and corny dad jokes. Um, So happy to be back. I hope you had a great break. Anna and I, we were uh, in Portland, Oregon, where her family's from. And I'm going to be real those first three days, I didn't miss you at all. I was sleeping and eating and holding babies, and it was wonderful. Um, But then by day four or five, I was like, all right, I'm ready to see you guys again. I was reflecting a lot and praying a lot about our community and how far God has brought us, and um, just getting really excited about 2017 and what's going to happen, and, and all that God wants to do through this community. And so I thought, you know, for, for our first day back that we would, uh, we'd start with something nice and easy, you know, just sort of the, to ease us in to 2017 and a kind, you know, get the oil up the gears again, so to speak. So we're actually going to talk. Uh, Steph, it's wrong slide, wrong, wrong slide, change that. See, I told you corny jokes, corny jokes, they're bad. We're actually going to talk about generosity. It's a better way of putting it. <laughs> uh, if you're new here, please don't leave. <laughs> um, yeah, we're talking about generosity. That's what we're going to have a two-part mini-series this week and next week on generosity. And the reason being is because it's a core value of ours. And it's a core value of ours because it's a core value of the gospel. Like, ask the most nominal Christian, what is sort of like the the defining Bible verse of the entire story? And they'll probably say what? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For God so loved his world that he gave... His only son. The absolute center of the gospel is a God who gives. And obviously, as you can see from the graphic, if Stefan put the graphic back up, there are so many ways that you can give. You can give time, you can give love, you can give of yourself. But an important way, and a way that we don't talk about often enough, you can give financially. Elephant in the room. right? None of us like talking about money. Least of all, this guy, okay? None of us like talking about money. It's a sensitive, tender subject. But that it is, that it's something that's taboo, that it's something that we can't talk about, is proof that it controls us. We don't control it, right? That would make sense. Anything in our lives a moment from our past, uh, an ad- something that, that, that's secret. Anything that we keep secret that we're unable to talk about controls us. We don't have power over it. But the gospel, the good news, a God who gives, is all about freedom. Like a shorthand for what the good news is, God desires to set you free. And in America... We're not free when it comes to our possessions. I think that's safe to make that confession. We're not. Confession, I didn't originally wanna talk about this. I didn't wanna preach this sermon. I was challenged to preach this sermon by a pastor, a man who um, I respect, he's one of the few people, uh, he's someone I respect more than anyone else. Some of y'all know him, his name's Christian Hernandez. He's a pastor of the Hope Church in Astoria, Astoria, Queens. And uh, he preached a similar sermon at Astoria about why people at Astoria should partner with Hope Astoria. And I was like, bro, that's bold, man. Um, And he was like, well, why is that bold? And I was like, I I just, I I don't think I I could do that yet with Hope Brooklyn. He's like, well, why is that? And I was like, well, I I just know money's such a sensitive topic that people have been hurt by churches who have mishandled it, that it's, it's just one of those things that, you know because I love them I don't want to address that yet and Chris y'all know Chris for people who do know Chris he is like the kindest most pastoral shepherd you'll ever meet and he looks me in the eyes he goes well actually Russ I'd say if you're not willing to talk about it that's proof you don't love them I was like what do you know Chris (laughs) but I thought about it more and he was right That which we are unable to talk about controls us. And it's true. I didn't want to talk about it because I didn't love you enough. Because I was afraid of hurting you or opening old wounds or that you leave the church or whatever. Because he challenged me to go back to the Gospels and to read um, Jesus' words. And the, the stats don't lie, basically. Like this is a basic uh, rundown of some of the stats. 25% of what Jesus talked about was about money or possessions or wealth. One scholar said that roughly 16 of his 38 parables had to do with how to handle money and possessions or how money and possessions handle us. In the Gospels, one out of every 10 verses, that's 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. As one scholar put it, Jesus talked more about money than about love. And maybe that's because how we spend our money demonstrates what we love. It's as my wife told me once in a fight where I was like, baby, I love you, I love you. And she goes, don't tell me you love me, do the dishes. I was like, no, just let me tell you I love you. (laughs) Right? Don't tell me you love me, show me that you love me. And in America, and and obviously in the first century in Jesus' day, and I don't think this is an issue unique to us, it sounds like it's always been the case for all human history, there's something that challenges our love for God. There's not many more things that challenge our love for God like possessions or wealth. And so I'm approaching this topic today because I realize I do love you. I love you more um, than I fear you. (laughs) But I know, I know that people in here have been hurt by churches talking about money. I've been hurt by churches talking about money. And humans are incredibly reactionary creatures, are we not? We're over on this side, and then something happens that hurts us, and we swing so far to the other direction, we're constantly throwing out babies with the bathwater. It's what we do. But if but if I truly love you, and if Jesus clearly talked about it all the time Then we must too. And no better time to discuss money and wealth and possessions than on the first Sunday back on the new year. So will you pray with me? Father, Father, all life comes from you. How often we forget that that every breath is a gift. Every breath is a gift from you. And Lord, um, today, will you just speak to your people? Whether they confess your name or don't, whether they would call themselves a Christian or not, would you speak to your people and reveal your heart for them? In this sensitive, taboo subject, Would you speak to us, Lord, and tell us how much you love us, that you don't want us to be enslaved or controlled by anything, that everything you do and everything you ask of us is motivated by deep love and a desire to set us free. And you prove that because you so loved us that you gave your son. We love you, Lord. We wanna know how to love you better. It's in your name we pray, amen. So the first thing I would say, first thing I would say um, as like a premise for us starting off, God does not need your money. God does not need your money. That's actually a laughable idea. And because God does not need your money, Hope Brooklyn does not need your money. That's not why we're talking about this today. Hope Brooklyn, we do need finances to survive, to, th- to thrive, but we don't need your finances to survive. Now I'm gonna explain what I mean by that. Literally, there have been too many examples thus far in the short history of Hope Brooklyn, these last eight months, to note where God has proven that he is absolutely planting this. Like if, it, if, this, if Hope Brooklyn was my idea or Nathan or Liz's idea, if we wanted to start a church then we would be asking you for money. But because God desires to do this, there's no pressure on us. He he pays for what he orders. Two examples, two examples. And I'm only sharing these because these are the most recent. So um, in December, uh, for our our Hope Brooklyn's 2016 budget, we had a grant from a church planting organization for $25,000. Well, we got word uh, in December, I got word That they were only able to pay 15 of that 25. That left us 10,000 short. Now, for a church plant, 10,000 is a sizable, you know, a significant number. Well, uh, about a week prior to that, uh, two things happened. Hope Astoria, Christian Hernandez, they came to to us and they said, Hey Russ, uh, Hope Astoria is doing a year end giving campaign. And what we do is we raise money on top of our, our budgeted giving and we divide it among four causes that we believe in, and we really love Hope Brooklyn, we love you guys, we wanna give to you guys. I was blown away. I didn't ask for that, I wasn't expecting that. He came and was like, we wanna do this for you. It's like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Their goal was to raise $15,000, which means Hope Brooklyn would get a little under four. They ended up raising 32. Hope Brooklyn got $8,000 of unexpected funds. A day later, Anna and I received a letter in the mail. We didn't know it was coming from a relative back on the West Coast saying, we love you guys. We're praying for you. We believe in what you're doing with a check for $2,000. Fast forward a week, I get word from the church planting organization that they're gonna be $10,000 short. God had already supplied the need before I even had a chance to worry about it. God's doing this. Another example. This happened last week. For our 2017 budget, we had uh, a church planting organization that was gonna give us $50,000, huge. They just let us know last week for different reasons, and it's totally fine, they're only able to give us 25,000. Well, again, we're we're very young, 25,000 is a huge number. Lord, what are we gonna do? Early on in December, I was having coffee with a guy who oversees a church planting organization in the city. And he goes, Russ, I don't know if you know this, but we have a grant that we give out. And I was like, no, I didn't know that. He goes, you should apply for it. I was like, okay. So I did the application, I filled it out. And for, through prayer and for other reasons, I asked for $30,000. That was the number that God put on my heart. I felt like that was not too much, not too little, it felt right, I asked for 30,000. That was early December. So I find out last week that, that that organization that's gonna give us 50 can only give us 25. Two days later, I got an email that we got the grant for $30,000. So I thought we lost 25. No, we actually gained five. Like, and that's just the two most recent examples. And the only reason I'm saying that is we're not talking about money today because God needs your money or Hope Brooklyn needs it. He's got infinite resource streams, infinite resource streams. But if God doesn't need it, Hope Brooklyn doesn't need it, why Does it usually feel like when churches talk about money, it feels like a Dementor's kiss? Harry Potter fans in the house? Yeah. So there's a character in Harry Potter called a Dementor. And a Dementor is essentially a demonic spirit. And they do this thing called a Dementor's kiss where they go up to a human and they like get really close and they suck out the soul of the human. Doesn't sometimes, that's what it feels like when churches talk about money. It's like, oh man, God's just coming here like a vacuum cleaner, just sucking out the life. Every, I know you got some more pennies in there. Let's go, cough them up, just sucking it out. Why does it feel like that? Especially when you look throughout the history of God's interaction with both Israel and the church. And it's never been that way. Like, I think this is one of the most cleverest deceptions of the enemy. Like, look at this one verse. This comes from the book of Deuteronomy. So, for the people of Israel, they had something called the tithe, where God uh, commanded his people to give the first 10% to the temple. The first 10% of their income to the temple. And this is why. And tell me if this sounds like a a Dementor's kiss to you. He says, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tenth of your grain, your new wine, and your olive oil. Eat the firstborn of your herds and your flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant, and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tenth, because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, exchange your tithe for silver. Take the silver with you, go to the place the Lord your God will choose and use that silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other strong drink or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice." And do not neglect the Levites who are like the priest living in that town, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce stored in your towns so that the Levites who have no allotment or inheritance of their own and the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Does that sound like a Dementor's kiss? What is God saying? I want you to give a 10th of what you earn for a party. It's for a party. I want you to give a 10th for a party, for the ministers who throw the party, and for the poor. That doesn't sound like a vacuum cleaner sucking out our soul. That sounds pretty life-giving to me. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we always eat together is that idea. So if it's not a dementor's kiss, and it's never been that, why does he still ask for it, right? Because he does. Why does he ask for it? I think the best example, sort of the quintessential image that illustrates this, is the story where Jesus feeds the 5,000. So for those of you unfamiliar with the story, this is how it goes. So Jesus is teaching one day, and he's teaching this massive group of people were told 5,000. However, it was a patriarchal society. So it was 5,000 men, which means there were more women and children. So it's probably closer to around 10,000. So he's teaching 10,000 people. It's getting late. He's like, all right, um, they're hungry. They're going to faint going home. Uh, So he turns to his disciples and goes, you guys give them something to eat. And they're stunned. His disciples are stunned. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, Jesus, this is 10,000 people here. This would take more than a year's wages to be able to purchase all the the food it would get to feed these people. He's like, no, you, you give them something to eat. So they're like, oh my gosh, how are we gonna do this? So one disciple finds a boy and a boy has a basket of five loaves of bread and two fish. And the boy brings it, he's like, sure you can use this and Jesus is like that's perfect and he takes that five loaves of bread two fish and he blesses it and he starts breaking it and giving it to his disciples and his disciples distribute it and everyone eats and is satisfied and there are 12 basketfuls left over if God's not asking you for anything what is he doing I think he's inviting you into something. He's not asking you for anything. He knows what power is his. Jesus knows what he can do to feed this crowd. He doesn't need the disciples' help. He doesn't need this boy's help. He's inviting them into something. It's an invitation. I love C.S. Lewis's quote, he goes, Or another way of putting all this, God doesn't want anything from you. He wants something for you. That's the essence of what is going on. Every time, God wants nothing from you. He needs nothing from you. He's inviting you into something. He wants something for you. He's saying, trust me, put down the mud pies. I know you feel like it's all you got. You gotta protect it. Put them down. A holiday at sea is infinitely better. It's an invitation. So then the question becomes, what does he want for you and for me? What does he want for us that comes from financial generosity? What does he want for you? Well, first, he wants freedom. He wants you to be free. There's a myth in in this society, probably uh, in many societies, and I dare say it affects every single one of us in here. And the myth goes like this that you are not fully secure until you are fully independent. Financially, you are not fully secure until you are fully financially independent. Well, here's why that's a myth for us who are Christians we are never independent. The entire point of the gospel is that we are 100% dependent. On the grace of Jesus. If Jesus is not who he says he is, we're screwed. If his Father is not as gracious and gratuitous with his favor as he says he is, we're in trouble. Moreover, the reason why Israel was told to give the tithe is to remember that everything their fields produced was not by their hard work, it was a gift. We are 100% dependent. None of it comes from us. But we have this belief that these mud pies, we made them, right? And they're giving us security. I love this quote by Henry Nouwen. He goes, we fear being dependent on others because of the idea that dependence is a threat to our security. When the reality is, we were created to be dependent on God and on one another. That's actually the most Christ-like we can be is when I'm dependent on God and all my brothers and sisters. Like, what if that kid, in the story of the feeding of the 5,000, what if he comes to Jesus and Jesus is like, hey, can I use your five loaves of bread and two fish? And he goes, ah, but what am I going to eat? No, you can't do that. What if he actually said no? because he was afraid, because he thought, this is my security, this is all I have. He would have missed being a part of a miracle. And I like to think, the story doesn't say so, but I like to think that one of those 12 basketfuls of leftovers, he got to take home with him. So his his lunch cost him nothing, basically, then. Like, God is inviting, Jesus is inviting this kid, saying, your security is not in this basket of five loaves of bread and two fish, It's in me. Be free. Put down the mud pies. I know you're scared because you have no idea what a holiday at sea is. Put them down. Join me. Moreover, I like to think that after that day, that kid became a Jesus follower because he knows how many loaves of bread and fish he gave Jesus. And he saw how many people ate. So I don't know what he thought about Jesus before that day, but after that day, I don't know. I would have been like, okay, I'm following this guy. Because if he can do that, that's, that's a guy worth following. So I don't think uh, this, this topic today applies only for Christians. Maybe there's some of you in here who aren't Christians. And I would say with fear and trembling, try him. Try him. It's for you too. The invitation, the invitation is for you too. And another thing I would say, about all this is it gets easier. When you see God consistently come through again and again and again, when you see him, and you're like, this is all I got, and it multiplies, and there's bread always on your table, and there's a sense of joy in being able to bless people and help people and join in the work he's doing, it becomes like cheating. You're like, this is too easy. But it's hard at first, make no mistake. I remember, um, a year and a half ago, Anna and I, I've told this story to some people before. Uh, Anna and I, we had just moved to the city. We had just recently got married. Um, and we were baroque. Moreover, moving is an expensive enterprise. And so we were further baroque. And we had bills come and due. And we didn't have the money in our account to pay them. And we're like, all right, Lord, like, what do, you, what do you want us to do? What's gonna happen? And we were praying and we distinctly felt the Spirit say, I want you to give this amount of money to this cause. And we we're like, I don't think you heard our prayer. <laughs> cause we're saying we got built, like we can't be given away, we, we need right now. And we heard him say, it's clear, like give to this cause. <sighs> okay, not because he was asking for anything, he was inviting us into something. Okay, we wrote a check, we gave it. What's gonna happen? Two days before our bill comes due, I get a letter in the mail from my brother, one of my brothers, he has this letter, he tells me things that he's never told me. The kindest words I've ever heard from him, I'm in tears. And there's a check for more money than we need because he felt that God asked him to give. Covered our bills and then some. We were in tears, we're like, these stories guys, this isn't an atypical occurrence. This is what it is to to be walking with God. To say, hey, you can have my five loaves and two fish. What's going to happen today? This is what it looks like to accept the invitation. To step out in this way, as scary as it is, friends, and I know it's scary. Is to put down the mud pies and say, all right, I'll take a chance on you. What's going to happen? It's to step into an alternative vision of security and provision and freedom. It's to say, these five loaves and two fish, it's all I got, but I didn't provide them for me. They're from you. You can use them however you want. So the first thing that God is inviting you into is into freedom. To realize that what you have was always a gift anyway, and that's not the source of your security. It's like mud pies to him. He's got so much more. Secondly, He's inviting you to join into his work. He's inviting you to join into his work, into his work of ushering in the kingdom. Uh, I love the, uh, the passage that comes from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. So the Corinthians was a church. Um, Corinth was a city in Greece and they had a church there and he's writing to them and uh, he's exhorting them and he's referencing uh, the church among the people of Macedonia. And he writes this in verse three and four about the Macedonian church. He goes, for I testify, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Joining in his work, through financial generosity, is a privilege. Just so you know, I've never had anyone come plead and beg with me for the privilege of partnering with Hope Brooklyn. That would be nice. Hasn't happened. But it's clear what Paul is saying is to join his work is a privilege. When you see what God does, when you see how Jesus feeds the multitudes, man, here on out, you're gonna be like, here's my basket, use my basket, here's mine can you imagine a church can you imagine a people where everyone's clamoring and saying use mine today Jesus use mine it's a privilege to be able to join in his work and it's a privilege because we get to keep seeing what Jesus is doing and it's really incredible stuff that's why I said earlier it feels like cheating Because when you see him come through again and again and again and you see how he works again and again and again and you see that you never go hungry and you see that you actually don't need as much as you thought you needed and you see that it is, your heart comes more alive when you're giving than receiving as he says it would. You're just like, do it again. Do it again. I want to be a part of this again. And I know there might be some in here saying, Look, Russ, this all sounds great. Theologically, I I love the idea. I have nothing. Like, here are my expenses, here's my income. I totally get that. I really do. I would say a couple things as one who loves you deeply. Here's what I'd say. First, that kid had five loaves and two fish. Next to the task that was offered, that was like pennies. What are pennies to God? That's what I would say first. Second, when you look throughout the history of Israel and you see that everyone is always commanded to bring a sacrifice to the temple, you realize that everyone is always asked to bring something. The rich, they brought heifers and goats and sheep and all of that. But the poor were still commanded to bring birds. In fact, I don't know if you remember from Advent, when um, Mary and Joseph bring their sacrifice to the temple to celebrate Jesus, they have two birds. The expectation is that we always have something to give, no matter how big or how small, we always have something. In and, and, uh, the, the story of Acts of the first church, Paul actually quotes Jesus, and he goes, remember what our Lord said when he was among us, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. So Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So far as I know, he didn't say, it's more blessed to give than to receive once you pass this threshold, right? Once you get past this income, then it's more blessed to give than to receive. But before that, ah, it's more blessed to receive than to give. It's not what he said. In God's economy, always we grow richer through giving never poorer. It's, it's backwards, friends. It's inverted. It always has been. And God's economy, through giving, no matter how little or how much, that's not, that's not important. We grow richer and not poorer. And the last thing I would say, because this proved true, when, when I started uh, giving uh, back in college, perhaps, perhaps, I know in my case, I needed to reexamine examine. Certain lifestyles that made giving an impossibility. No matter if it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, the idea is that giving will always be sacrificial, in every case, sacrificial. It's got to hurt. When Anna and I wrote that check to that cause, we had no idea my brother was sending us something. We had no idea. We were trusting, but we had no idea. When we wrote that check, it hurt. The reason why Israel was commanded to give 10% because 10% is something that hurts. It makes you realign priorities. And maybe, and maybe when we re-examine lifestyles, we realize that certain lifestyles are not ones that give us life, but actually create more bondage. And if he's desiring to free us, perhaps foregoing on things we thought we needed allows that freedom to take place in a way we never would have thought. He's inviting us, he's inviting his disciples. He's inviting his disciples to a deeper knowledge of him by saying, let's give him something to eat together. I can do it myself, let's do it together. He's inviting this boy into a miracle. And maybe a a question that you're having is, well, why the church? Why do we partner with the work of the local church? Why not parachurch organizations? That's a really good question. And I'd love to have a longer conversation with that, so please come talk to me if you're thinking that. Here's what I'd say briefly. When you look throughout Israel's history, their gifts were always channeled through the temple. The temple was the locus of God's redemptive work. And then when you look in the New Testament, you find that when people bring their gifts, they still bring it to the apostles. They don't go straight to the person in need. They go to the apostles. The church and it was distributed to anyone who had need. I heard a pastor put it this way. The church has always been God's plan A. The reason why we give to the local church is because whether it was the temple in Israel or the church in the New Testament, the church is God's plan A. It is the primary vehicle for his work. So I would say then, if you're asking why give to the local church, I would say we shouldn't be giving only to the local church but we should be giving first to it for it's God's primary vehicle. We shouldn't be giving only to the local church, but first to it. And so if God's inviting us into freedom, if he's inviting us to join him in his work, the last thing he's inviting us into is to experience a real gospel relationship. Henry Nouwen puts it this way. He goes, generosity begets generosity rooted in the soil of relationship. Generosity begets generosity rooted in the soil of relationship. The entire gospel is a God who loved you so much that he gave his son. And when you realize that, when you realize just how much God has given, you can do nothing but want to give in return. Everything, not just money. You wanna give it all. You wanna give it to everyone in need. You wanna serve, you wanna love That is the gospel, this beautiful interchange and dance of generosity. Consider Paul's words um, from a little bit later in his letter to the Corinthians. It's sort of a longer text. And hear it as much as you can. Hear it as much as you can from the context that God doesn't want anything from you. He doesn't need anything from you. He wants something for you in this. Paul says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now that text has been abused by many churches and I apologize for the way it has. But it's not a threat. Paul's not threatening us. He's stating what is true. We get as much of God as we want and no more. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. You're not compelled for anything, God's not coercing you, he's inviting you. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. For as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Not your literal harvest of grain, your harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Catch this. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And that's key. We give and we're blessed tremendously, but we're not blessed tremendously so as to hoard and have more. We give and are blessed so as to give again. It's that mutual generosity begetting generosity. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God. For the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Partnering in the work he's doing is such a privilege. I uh, I heard this example when I was a kid, and it's it's. It's a weird illustration, but go with me. It's always stuck with me. And this is what God is saying. This is what a gospel relationship looks like. I heard this example in Sunday school as a kid. And I I was told, you know, hell is this place where you have long spoons on your arm. Anyone ever heard this example? You have long spoons on your arm. Go with me. I know, I know. And you're dipping in food at this table and you're trying to feed yourself. And you can't do it because the spoons are too long, and everyone dies of hunger. Heaven is a place where you have long spoons on your arm, and you're dipping it in this food, and you're feeding your neighbor to the right and the left of you. And if you think, well, what am I going to eat? Don't worry, because your neighbor with long spoons is feeding you, and that's a gospel relationship. We learn that we are dependent We're dependent on the provider who has all things. Just a beautiful interchange. I give to this cause and my brother's given to me. We hear from this church planting organization. They're gonna give this. Now they can't give this. But this other cause that I didn't even ask for is coming. God knows all resource streams. And he's just like, it's a beautiful dance of generosity where the body is always cared for and protected and there's not a needy person among them because they're putting Jesus first. Seek first the kingdom. And that, that example always stuck with me, and I love it. It's simple, but I think it's so true and so profound. The gospel community is a place where we don't feed ourselves. We feed our brother and a sister, but don't be afraid, because they're also feeding us. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. And so if the invitation today is for you guys to partner with the work God is doing through Hope Brooklyn, the invitation's also for Hope Brooklyn to be generous with you. And in addition to to, uh, the ministries and tables and brunches and worship and and all that, we also are gonna be generous in this area, recognizing that it's a very sensitive area for many of us. And so Hope Brooklyn, we're making three promises to you guys today. Three promises. This is what's gonna happen um, as part of this church. One, we're gonna have family meetings quarterly. That's a promise. So every three months, for those who are interested, for those who are invested in Hope Brooklyn, after service one Sunday, we're gonna stick around for about five to 10 minutes and we're gonna give you an update, a full transparent update of our budgets. We're gonna tell you, all right, this is the money that's come in. This is the money that's gone out. This is where it's gone. These are big decisions upcoming. Uh, Any questions? That's what it's gonna be. And so you will always, there will always be accountability and transparency and that's our promise to you. We're gonna be generous in that way. Secondly, we're gonna institute a church council this fall. And this church council is gonna be tasked about five to seven individuals with overseeing the financial health of Hope Brooklyn, setting our budgets week, uh, each year. And then each month, we'll be meeting together as a church council and looking through, all right, how, how are we doing this month? How is money being spent? Where is it going? And there's gonna be people among us who are not only mature spiritually, but also are mature and and wise in the ways of business, because I'm not. And they're gonna oversee and chart the course of Hope Brooklyn. And that's gonna be headed up by Alice Cha, who is our treasurer, our new Hope Brooklyn treasurer. Give it up for Alice, yeah, awesome. (laughs) So we're gonna have family meetings, we're gonna have a church council, and we have a goal. And this is a personal goal, and it's kind of bold for a church plant. But this is me sort of, and and our staff sort of thinking, this is what we want to do. We want to be about this. We want to be generous from the start. Our goal is that we want 20% of our budgets going toward missions by 2020, which is bold as a church plan. But we're just trusting that God's going to help us to do that. 20% of everything that goes out, of all our expenses, is going to go toward local nonprofits that we partner with, Or some go toward national missions or foreign missionaries or or whatever. However, God orchestrates relationships and opens doors. By 2020, that's what we want, that's our goal. And we're also gonna do little things to model this generosity, for this mutual and beautiful dance of generosity. So today, you're leaving not empty handed, you're actually leaving with a $5 gift card to Starbucks. We got some excitement for that? Come on. However, there is is a condition on this gift card. This gift card is not for you to spend on yourself. This gift card is for you to take someone out to coffee and to buy them a coffee, someone that you've been thinking about, someone that's been on your heart, someone you've been praying for, whoever, spouse, whatever. Actually, you can do it for spouses, sure. (laughs) To take them out for coffee and to ask them about their life And to model the generosity of finances and generosity of time. Because friends, we're not going to be a community here who feeds ourselves. We're going to feed one another. We're going to feed the community. The table is open. It's always open for everyone. And we're going to model that generosity. Now, I'm sure as I've talked today, there's been some battling of cynicism. Because of ways people have been hurt in the past. I'm, I'm sure that it's felt more like a dementor's kiss when talking about money and wealth and possessions than about this invitation for a holiday at sea. But if it's true that God is inviting us all to put down the mud pies, he's not asking you for anything, doesn't need anything from you, but if he's inviting you to put down the mud pies and trust him to go to a holiday at sea with him, if that's what he's inviting you to, but you who don't even know God saying, okay, I'll give you a shot. Let's try it. Then right now, as 2017 starts, is the perfect time to take that chance. It's to model what's really core and central to us. Over break, I was reflecting on the last eight months. It's hard to believe that February 22nd, we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of our very first vision dinner. The very first time that a group of about 15 of us gathered in Jay and Soonbin's home and asked what would it look like to plant a church in Brooklyn, a Hope Church in Brooklyn. And look at this. Like, friends, as I was in Portland reflecting and thinking about this community, I was overwhelmed by what God is doing. Just so you know, and, and I'm sure every pastor says this about their church, but it's so true. Look around you. God is doing something incredible. This is a unique community do you realize how diverse we are in every way we have native brooklynites and new brooklynites we have every ethnicity we have diversity of age and of uh, walks in their spiritual life we have such a rich and robust community i couldn't have done that only god could and he's just getting started and so as i was thinking about this and reflecting and just rejoicing for what god has done we wanted to make a, a short little video just to sort of remind us of how far we've come in these last eight months, and where we're going. So check this out. a) <laughs> Oh, it's coming. When I get nervous, I speak in a British accent. Sometimes I don't know why. Should I go on or should? Is it coming? It's a great video. It's really good. <laughs> there are pictures. There's music. Ah, there you go. <laughs>
1: It is a call. This moment, I can breathe. The clumsy start of adolescence, the glue that mends our broken.
0: Guys, I love this community. I'm absolutely overjoyed and moved by what God has done in eight months. Maybe you know in that timeline when you started showing up. Maybe uh, you wanna be in the video next year. I do too. (laughs) But right now as 2017 kicks off, we have so much that's coming. Worship and brunches, this new tables informational session If you're interested in what that looks like, come to one of those leader meetings. Tables are like the heartbeat of who we are. We have baptism, partnering with local organizations. We're having our full church launch in Easter. And a little birdie has told me that we're having like a block party on that day as well. So I'm gonna be referencing David Santos and Joshua Peta to figure out what a block party actually is and how to do that. Like there's so much happening. If you're new here, definitely fill out a connection card because now is the perfect time to get involved. I was just so moved by how incredible this community is. And so the invitation today is that if Hope Brooklyn is your home, partner with what God's doing through her. So we're gonna put that giving slide back up um, because now we do have a new platform. We have different ways you can partner. Texting, that's super nifty. I tried it out the other day. Literally, you just text an amount to that number and then you create A short profile, it takes like one minute, and then every time you text an amount to that number, it immediately debits your account. It's really cool. Or you can set up a recurring gift, however. But my challenge for all of us today, guys, is that I love you too much. I love you too much to allow taboo subjects to stand in our way. Here's to 2017. And as Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, as you excel in every way, as you excel in teaching and in community, and in ministering. As you excel in every way, he says, let us also excel in giving. And that's what would be my prayer for Hope Brooklyn. As we excel in every way, as God is forming this community, let us also excel in giving. Let's, let's give them our five loaves and two fish and say, use my basket. What are you gonna do today? Let's put down the mud pies and join them at the holiday at sea. Will you pray with me? Jesus I know how scary it is to say that our things our possessions are not our security but you are It's scary because when you tell us to give you don't necessarily say uh, who's going to feed us but your promises have always been true and you've never let us down. That the beauty of following you, the beauty of gospel relationships is that we get the privilege of seeing five loaves of bread and two fish feed 5,000 people. And that bread is always on our table. Lord, let Hope Brooklyn be that type of generous place. Let us be a place where all are welcome to the table, where there are no needy persons among us, that we're constantly begging you for ways to give, for ways to partner with what you're doing. Jesus, be the center of everything that we're about, because we know that there is only freedom in you. It's in your name. Amen. So as Nathan alluded to earlier, we take communion every Sunday together. And as we do so, we're gonna leave this up. And at first, when I I thought about that, I was like, oh, that sounds a bit off. But as I thought and prayed more, no, it doesn't. Because if all this is true, if this invitation is true, then the gift to be able to partner in what God is doing is just, as much a gift of grace as his body and blood. They're both equally gifts. So we take the bread and the wine in one hand and we receive the grace of God. And with the other, we say, this is what we got. There's our five loaves and two fish. What do you want to do with it, Lord? And so just so you know, if you're a Christian or not, the table is open for you. This is the gift of Jesus's grace. And if you want to partake, you can Uh, We cycle this way so there's not a traffic jam. Uh, The kids will be coming, so if you want to take communion with your child, as well as we have gluten-free elements up here. And uh, again, I want to say one other thing, actually. If you feel, if, if today as we've been talking, you feel coerced or obligated, you have my permission. Do not give. Don't. But I would ask you, as you take communion or as you reflect, to think, why is that? Where is that coming from? And for the rest of us, I want to put down the mud pies and join them at sea. I want to offer my basket and see a miracle happen.
1: So will you come take communion with me?